Good evening. My name is Andre McDaniel, and I will be your moderator for this class. Welcome to another lecture given by the members of the Southfield, Michigan class. This is a school and not a church, and neither are we affiliated with any religious organization. This school is a nonprofit, non-denominational, religious, and scientific research organization dedicated to showing proof of the existence of Yahweh, our Elohim, and the operation of its eternal purpose, pattern, and plan operating throughout eternity to this present day. This school was established as a result of a divine vision and revelation given to our founder, Dr. Henry Clifford Kinley in the state of Ohio in the year of 1931. We hold classes in the United States, Canada, and certain other foreign countries. The Southfield, Michigan class was established in 1997. The Dean of the Southfield, Michigan class is Dr. Marvin Lewis, and the president is Dr. Edward Yule. In this school, we use the true, correct, and original name and title of the Father, the Word or Son, and the Holy Spirit, which are contained in the original Hebrew text. The true name of the Heavenly Father is Yahweh, it has been improperly substituted by Lord. The true title of the word or son is Elohim. It has been improperly substituted by God. The name of the Holy Spirit manifested in or out of a physical body is Joshua. It has been erroneously substituted by Jesus Christ. Lord and God are titles and not names. The Apostle Paul filled with the Holy Spirit tells us in 1 Corinthians 8 and 5 that there are Lord's many and God's many. But we now know that each Lord must have a name and each God must have a name also. Elohim is a title, but unlike Lord and God, Elohim is a divine title. That means Elohim is a title that our creator chose for himself. Jesus is a name, but it is an erroneous name. A minor investigation on your part in a good dictionary or encyclopedia will prove that neither the Hebrew language, the Greek language, nor the Latin language have any characters or letters in their alphabet that will produce the sound that is made by this letter J. Neither was there a letter J in the English language until some 1400 years after the Messiah's death. Therefore, such names as Jesus and Jehovah are impossible renderings of the true and original name of our Father and His Son. Christ is a title, just like Lord and God. Yahweh is pure spirit, and in this state, He is incomprehensible and inscrutable. He is the ultimate source, substance, limits, and bounds of everything. We have Yahweh in his pure spirit state symbolized on this chart as a cloud. Yahweh is not a cloud. He merely chose a cloud to symbolize himself because a cloud has no particular or descriptive shape and form. We have drawn this cloud all around the edges of this chart to show you that everything on this chart is within the cloud. In like manner, everything in the universe abides within the pure spirit state of Yahweh. Yahweh knowing that man could not perceive of him in this pure spirit state, took on shape and took on form right within himself as Elohim. 
This is the word or sign, a super incorporeal being that is having the shape and form of a man, but without flesh and blood. Blood. This form could only be seen in divine visions and understood in divine revelations. Later on, this self-same spirit manifested himself in a physical body and walked the earth plane as Joshua the Messiah, whom the world calls Jesus Christ. Now, there is only one name given unto salvation, and we must know that name. So the simple yet intelligent question that we should ask ourselves is, what was the name of the Savior during the time that he walked the earth plane? A further understanding of this name and title may be had by reading the preface of the Holy Name Bible. Also at the school, we teach by the divine pattern of the universe. It is called the divine pattern because it is a Yahweh's pattern. After Yahweh led the children of Israel out of Egypt, he called Moses atop Mount Sinai and showed him the tabernacle pattern in a vision. Yahweh instructed Moses to build one exactly like it in the wilderness of Sinai. The pattern consists of a most holy place, holy place, and a court round about. These three compartments make up the one tabernacle pattern. In this school, we show proof that everything in the universe is made and operates according to the structure and function of this threefold tabernacle pattern and that absolutely nothing escapes the pattern. The primary constitutional objectives and aims are as follows. First, to help you find and know Yahweh our Elohim as he really is and actually exists. Second, to form a nucleus of universal brotherhood of humanity in Yahshua the Messiah without the extinction of race or nationality, creed, sex, caste, or color. Third, to investigate the unexplained spirit law or so-called law of nature and the powers latent in man. Fourth, to encourage and promote the study of the scriptures, comparative religions, psychology, philosophy, and modern practical and occult science. Fifth, to exploit current superstition, skepticism, and ignorance. Sixth, to learn, know, and understand the operation of Yahweh's eternal purpose through the dispensations and ages. Seventh, to discern and avoid being deceived by Lucifer, the serpent, the devil, the dragon, or Satan and his demons, operating the mystery of iniquity on earth throughout the dispensations of time. Eighth, to earnestly contend for the common salvation and faith which was once delivered unto the sons or children of Yahweh. Ninth, to make known that Yahweh from the beginning ordained there is no other name given among man whereby man can be saved, saving the name of Yahshua the Messiah. Tenth, to inherit internal, excuse me, sorry, to inherit eternal life now in the kingdom of Yahshua the Messiah with the hope of immortal glorification in the new earth state. Our watchword is peace, 
our slogan is speak the truth. Today, we will be having prayer by uh, Dr. Gary Myers, and we will be having our scripture reader. Scripture reading would be Psalms, Division 118, read by Dr. Paula Brown. Good evening, everyone. <clears throat> Let us please bow our hearts and minds. Yahshua, we thank you once again for gathering us together tonight. We uh, all appreciate so much the food that you have fed us, the spiritual food that has given us life, that has given us hope through these perilous times. We just ask you to help us to clear our minds, pay attention, to be with the speakers, so that this class, along with your body, can be edified to your pleasing. With this, let us all say, hallelujah. 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 Scripture was one, Psalms 118 by Dr. Paula Brown. Okay, that was Psalms 119. 18. 18, thank you. Good evening. The scripture lesson today is Psalms 118. I'll be reading out of the King James Version of the Bible, inserting the true, correct, and original name of our Heavenly Father and the Son. Psalms 118. Oh, give thanks unto Yahweh, for he is good because his mercy endureth forever. Let Israel now say that his mercy endureth forever. Let the house of Aaron now say that his mercy endureth forever. Let them now that fear Yahweh say that his mercy endureth forever. I called upon Yahweh in distress. Yahweh answered me and set me in a large place. Yahweh is on my side. I will not fear what can man do unto me. Yahweh taketh my part with them that help me. Therefore shall I see my desire upon them that hate me. It is better to trust in Yahweh than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust Yahweh than to put confidence in princes. All nations compassed me about but in the name of Yahweh will I destroy them. They can pass me about, yea, they can pass me about, but in the name of Yahweh, I will destroy them. They can pass me about like bees. They are quenched as the fire of thorns. For in the name of Yahweh, I will destroy them. Thou hast trust, thrust, excuse me, sore at me that I might fall, but Yahweh helped me. Yahweh is my strength and song and is become my salvation. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tabernacles of the righteous. The right hand of Yahweh do it validly. The right hand of Yahweh is exalted. The right hand of Yahweh doth validly. I shall not die but live and declare works of Yahweh. Yahweh hath chastised me sore, but he hath not given me over unto death. 
Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go into them and I will praise Yahweh. This gate of Yahweh in which the righteous shall enter, I will praise thee for thou hast heard me and art become my salvation. The stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner. This is Yahweh doing, Yahweh's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which Yahweh hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I beseech thee, O Yahweh, O Yahweh, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of Yahweh. We have blessed you out of the house of Yahweh. Elohim is Yahweh, El is Yahweh, which have showed us light by the sacrifice with cords, even unto the horns of the altar. Thou art my Elohim, I will praise thee. Thou art my Elohim, I will exalt thee. Oh, give, give thanks unto Yahweh, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. That was Psalms, the 118th Psalm, excuse me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Dr. Gary Myers for the prayer and Dr. Paula Brown for the scripture reading. Our scripture readers today are Dr. Paula Brown and LaWanda Decker. Dr. LaWanda Decker, excuse me. Also, I would like to remind everybody to be mindful of your uh, audio and your video that you do not disturb the speakers on the floor. And today is Green Chart Thursday and I will be turning it over to Dr. Felicia Hamilton. Thank you very much. Dr. McDaniel, I really appreciate that. Um, good evening to everyone, and thank you so very much for joining. Um, I love that prayer. It was right in line with the scripture. We get, we're giving thanks to Yahweh because his mercy endure forever. So today, um, for some reason, my image glass did not want to work, even though it was working a half hour before class, but we're going to just go with the flow. Um, so today we're going to go through, remember we were um, using uh, Dr. Le, Dr. Lejeune Gill's um, uh, booklet, Science of the Mind, Image of the Creator, but there was a, um, a, uh, a, a diagram in there, and this is also in your Elohim book, that shows um, kind of a little bit more detail of the human body compared to um, the tabernacle pattern. So what Yahweh had me to do was to go through um, each one of these points you see here. Um, we're going to go through those in detail, showing you images, uh, real images of these body parts, along with a, you know, a little bit of animation, so that when you hear people talk about the pituitary gland or the thyroid gland, you'll actually have an image of your, in your mind of not only what it looks like, but where it lies in the human body. So um, um, it requires a lot of reading. Um, uh, grateful Dr. Dorian Lewis will be reading from the textbook. It's volume, um, volume three, I believe it is. Um, yes, volume three. Um, he will be reading. Um, this time, we're not going to do it like we did before, where he would read through the entire thing, then we would go back, because there's a lot of reading. So what I'm going to do is have Dorian read, and I will follow along in picture form so that you can see what it is the, um, 
what it is that's being talked about in the textbook. So Dr. Lewis, give me one moment because I would like to put this in, um, I wanna put this in slideshow mode. Okay. And of course it's on a different screen, so yeah. All right, let me share the screen. Let me share a new screen. All right, so Dr. Lewis, if you could start to read and then let everyone know where it is you're reading. And scripture readers, I will um, let you know when there's a scripture that we want to um, go ahead and pick up on. Okay, this is uh, from volume three of Elohim, the archetype original pattern of the, of the universe. Mm -hmm. Page six, the third paragraph. Mm -hmm. We will now show the co-relationship of the mosaic tabernacle with the anatomy and physiology of our physical body. Please keep in mind that the physical tabernacle which Moses built in the wilderness of Sinai is an exact copy of the spiritual tabernacle which he saw in the vision in Mount Sinai. Therefore, when we speak of the physical component parts of our physical body and compare them with the structures in the mosaic tabernacle, we are speaking always of the spiritual things that these structures stand for. For instance, when we speak of the physical heart and compare it with the physical table of shoe bread, we are really speaking of that spiritual sustenance or bread, which is Yahshua the Messiah. Mm -hmm. All things of the Mosaic tabernacle and our physical body, in fact, all natural things, point to the Messiah or Yahweh and he is the fulfillment of all of them. Okay, pause right there. So that's, you have to keep this in mind when we are doing these correlations because everything physical, reader get me Romans 119, everything physical points to something in the spirit. So if there is something that Yahweh is showing you as, you know, as far as your job or family, Ask Yahweh, what is the spiritual significance of what it is you're showing me? Because as, as the reader read, or Dr. Kinley stated, everything in this pattern is a representation of Yahshua the Messiah, and everything that we're seeing from a physical standpoint relates to the spirit. So go ahead and get that scripture for me. Romans 1, 19. Mm -hmm. Because that which may be known of Yahweh is manifest in them, for Yahweh hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and supernal nature, so that they are without excuse. So Dr. Kinley, I was listening to another uh, SoundCloud lecture and Dr. Kinley talked about his journey and how Yahweh brought him to give him this great panoramic vision. And the one thing he said he wrestled with all the time was how could God be justified in sending us to the lake if he didn't make himself known to us? And that's what Yahweh has done. So what you're reading, what she just read there was Paul saying he is justified because he's made himself known to you 
through the physical creation. Everything in the physical creation has a spiritual significance. So that's what we want you to keep paramount in your mind when we're going through these correlations. I may misstep, I may say something incorrectly, but the spiritual significance of it is not wrong. It's the person, Felicia, that made a mistake, but Yahweh is perfect. Okay, go ahead and read Dr. Lewis. This discourse will be of none effect if one does not keep in mind that it is appertaining to spiritual things at all times. If you, the reader, will refer to the chart entitled Man Made in the Image of Elohim by the Pattern of the Tabernacle, you will be able to follow the correlative structure and function of the Mosaic Tabernacle with the anatomy and physiology of man's body. The illustration on the left is the Mosaic Tabernacle. The illustration in the center, of course, is the physical body with the head, chest, and abdominal cavities exposed, showing the positioning of the internal organs. The illustration on the right shows the interchanging of the organs of the physical body with the furnishings of the mosaic tabernacle, tabernacle excuse me, to unmistakably show the detailed and polytechnical comparison. Each number Excuse me, each corresponding number denotes the same structure in each illustration. And the numbers denoted by the pound sign will be inserted wherever necessary throughout our discourse so as not to break the continuity of thought. Number one is the most holy place of the Mosaic Tabernacle. Pause for me one second. So, what I'm going to do, I'm going to, now that you've seen the illustration, I'm going to flip to the color um, um, chart so that you can see that because we want to you know give it to you in a little bit better color but now you know point to the number that he's pointing to but in your mind if he's saying holy place you automatically know it's in the head cavity okay go ahead dr lewis okay number one is the most holy place of the mosaic tabernacle number two shows the two archangels or cherubims of glory overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings touching in the middle Number three illustrates the cloud dwelling between them and above the mercy seat. The cloud denotes the dwelling place of Yahweh, and the large eye signifies his ever-presence and attention to the deeds of man. In the Ark of the Covenant beneath the mercy seat, number four, one sees the two tables of the Mosaic law placed therein. The door in front is just for the purpose of illustrating the two tables of the commandment law. Actually, excuse me, actually, there was a lid on top which formed the mercy seat. The two archangels represented Michael, a warrior who was always sent to carry out some action for Yahweh, and Gabriel, who was sent to deliver messages. Furthermore, the invisible presence of Yahweh in the cloud was signified by the manifestation of the Shekinah, which really was a vision of Elohim seen by the high priest on the Day of Atonement. Number one, the cranial or head cavity of man's physical body corresponds with the most holy place of the mosaic tabernacle. Number two, the right and left halves of the brain, which come together in the midline, corresponds with the two archangels and the two main functions of the brain. One in carrying out some action, motor function, corresponds to the duties of Michael, and two, the sending and receiving of messages, sensory function, 
corresponds with the duties of Gabriel. Pause right there. So as you can see in this illustration, where you have 12 cranial nerves, and those 12 nerves, there are only actually two functions. It's either motory or sensory, but you have some nerves that have both. So you either have Gabriel, who is our messenger, that's your sensory nerves, and that's your, I'm going to try and remember how to pronounce them, olfactory, optic, vestibular, cochlear nerve, vestibular, cochlear nerve. So that's, uh, I think I got those, yeah, I messed up. I forgot where the other one is. Okay. But those are your sensory organs. Then when you go over to the right, who is Michael, who is our warrior, you have the uh, nerves here. So you have ocular motor, which is eye movement, trochlear, abenesence, accessory, and hypoglossia. These are all things that move um, either, you know, in the face. This one does the shoulder elevation and turning your head. And then you have um, some that are mixed. So you have your trigeminal, your facial, your glossophalangeal, and your vagus nerve. These things have um, a sensory and a motor function. But as you can see, it's either sensory or motor. There's no other um, function for these nerves. Just like with your archangels, Michael and Gabriel, one was a messenger, one was um, uh, a warrior, or he did the um, action. So that corresponds to the function of your brain and your right and left half of your brain. Keep reading, Dr. Rose. Okay, number three. The brain itself is composed of gray and white matter, likened unto the cloud which overshadowed the mercy seat. And it is by means of our brain that we are in touch with and minutely aware of everything going on around us. It is really like one great big cycloptic eye in our heads. Even the two eyes see as one. The pineal gland located, excuse me, the pineal gland located in the center of the brain was likened unto a cycloptic eye by the ancients or Greek mythologists and also was thought to be the seat of all sensations. Pause right there. So here's your, here's your pineal gland. We'll often hear people talk about it, but I want you to get a visual of where it actually sits in your brain. So when you see it, it literally sits enclosed in the brain, just like that, um, uh, that Ark of the Covenant sat enclosed, I'm sorry, the uh, Ten Commandments sat enclosed in that Ark of the Covenant. You couldn't see it unless you opened it up. You can't see this unless you open it up. And now he's, I'm going to let him read a little bit more and then I'll come back to this because so we, we want to talk about um, how it is that men, before they were opening up um, or before they knew the exact science of the human body, knew that there was something to this pineal gland. So go ahead and, and continue to read that. Number four, the two lobes of the pituitary gland, the master gland of the body, corresponds to the two tables of the Mosaic law. And they are... I'm sorry, yeah, I forgot it jumps into the pituitary. So let me go to, to the pineal first. So the pineal gland, that gland, the main function of it is to, is to receive information from the light and dark cycles from the environment. And then what it does, if it sees that it's starting to get dark outside, then it produces more melatonin. Melatonin helps to calm you down and to help you sleep. That's why you have so many people taking supplements. I'm one of them for melatonin at night because your brain is so ramped up during the day. You can't seem to go to sleep at night, even though it's dark outside. So that's what 
that pineal gland helps to do. It, it takes in the light from outside. And as that light diminishes, it sends that signal, say, hey, produce some melatonin so this person can calm down and go to sleep. Now, the ancient, ancient Egyptians, they knew, they thought of the pineal gland as the seat of the spirit or the soul or a route to higher awareness. So of course, you know, the ancient Egyptians, they, they would do um, dissections and look at the human body and they saw that gland, which if you can see this model, this is exactly what it looks like and where it is. And that, so this is the brain here, but here is that pineal gland here. So they, they, they theorized that it was something to that pineal gland. It's some kind of spiritual awakening, just as the Buddhists do. And, and Hinduism, they think the same thing. You know, of course, you know, they want to relate it to anything but Yahweh. But we know all of this points to Yahweh. And so this here, remember, it says the main function of it is to take in the light and dark. Think about that, light and dark, good and bad you know, righteousness, unrighteousness. Why is that? Because the eyes of Yahweh are in every place beholding the good and the evil. So we don't have to worry about, you know, oh, um, what about the people over here? Or what about the people over there? Or this person did something in secret. No, Yahweh is everywhere. He sees everything. Mm -hmm. Why is that? A, a speaker talked about previously that everybody has the spirit of life in them but not everybody has the Holy Spirit. That spirit of life is Yahweh. So Yahweh is there right with you, seeing what you're doing and what they're doing. So that's why this pineal gland, they theorize that it, you know, is the seat of a higher awareness. But we know, once again, it's actually the eye of Yahweh or the eye of understanding that he gives us. Okay, so now we're going to go to the, uh, the pituitary gland. Go ahead, Dr. Lewis. Number four. The two lobes of the pituitary gland, the master gland of the body, corresponds to the two tables of the Mosaic law, and they are placed in a bony receptacle in the base of the brain and are covered over by a covering just as the lid covered the Ark of the Covenant. Okay, pause for me, Dr. Lewis. So remember, we always would talk about in class, you know, the two lobes of the pituitary gland, and if you see it here, so this is actually, if you look at this here, you can barely see kind of like the teeth here of the jawbone. It's actually situated right at the roof of your roof, roof, roof. Not roof, Samuel, roof, roof. I can't even say it. R-O-O-F. <laughs> the top part of your, your mouth. That's where the pituitary gland is. And you see it here. And it sits in this bony receptacle. So this part here, that's the top part of your mouth. And then here's the pituitary gland right here. And you see the lobes. One is green, one is blue. So you have two lobes of the pituitary gland. So that's what he's talking about now. And he's talking about the co-relationship of that pituitary gland to the, um, the uh, Ark, I'm sorry, the um, Ten Commandments. So go ahead, Dr. Lewis, again. Mm -hmm. In our diagram on the right, you will see the word law in the mouth of the, of the figure. Mm -hmm. This is to show the close approximation of the pituitary gland to the roof of the mouth. And it is out of the mouth that the law proceeds. Malachi wrote, the law of truth was in his mouth. The vision of the Shekinah seen in the cloud in the most holy place of the tabernacle can be correlated with the configuration of the blood vessels supplying the brain, which take the shape of a stick figure of a man, Elohim. So I want to finish with the pituitary gland. I'm not looking at my book and I probably should grab it so I can follow along. 
Okay, so the, with the pituitary gland, remember with that um, 10 commandments, we said there, there were seven laws written on one side, right? And three on the other. With a pituitary gland, you have two sides of it. You have an anterior, which means front. You have a posterior, which means back. And why is it just so happened that seven hormones are secreted from the anterior or the front of the pituitary gland and three hormones are secreted from the back or the, uh, the posterior of the of pituitary gland. So what are hormones? Hormones are chemicals which carry, which circulate in the bloodstream to carry messages or signals to different parts of the body. Now, everyone has over 200 hormones in their body but every last one of them are activated by the 10 in the pituitary gland. How beautiful that corresponds with the 600 laws and cardinal ordinances. There are 10 commandments, but they all, but there are 600 laws and ordinances, but they stand on those 10 commandments. So once again, Yahweh has perfectly correlated the man's physical body with the tabernacle pattern. And that's what we're, we're going through. So this pituitary gland is equivalent to the um, Ten Commandments because you have ten laws on it, seven on one side and three on the other. Okay, so let's go to the next one, Doctor. Okay, the vision of the Shekinah seen in the cloud in the most holy place of the tabernacle can be correlated with the configuration of the blood vessels supplying the brain, which take the shape of a stick figure of a man, Elohim. Number five, the second veil, this is going into the neck. Okay, so let's go through this, um, this arterial circle of will. As we talk about it all the time, this is a section of our green chart, and you'll see it you know, here. But what it actually looks like, this is an actual picture of the brain opened up and it's showing these blood vessels. So you can see you know, the man's head, little arms, and his little legs down there. And what these, these are showing are the, the interior carotid arteries of this, this arterial circle of Willis. So it, what it does, all of these arteries can join right here in this part of the brain. And that's why, and then looks like the, the actual circle of a man, arterial circle of Willis. So it connects the major artery systems to the brain. The brain gets that, the brain needs that blood. You know, it's a vital organ that needs that blood more, pretty much more than any other organ. Okay, go ahead, Dr. Lewis. Let me see if I need that. Yes, okay. I got my book now. Okay. Well, number five, the second veil of the Mosaic Tabernacle divides the most holy place from the holy place and is blue, purple, and scarlet in color. This corresponds with the neck of man's physical body which divides the head or cranial cavity from the chest cavity. All the blood vessels passing to the head are gathered together in the neck in one great profusion. The veins, colored blue to denote impure blood, the arteries, colored red or scarlet to denote pure or oxygenated blood, and the presence of the iodine-filled thyroid gland. Iodine means violet or purple denotes the purple of this dividing veil of the neck. Okay, so pause right there. So now what we're at, we're at the second veil and we always talk about how, you know, it, you wanna put it right here, which yes, in reality, the veil is here, but because this is a 2D image, it's showing here, but this is the second veil. So mm -hmm. it will correspond to your neck region. 
And that veil we know was blue, purple, and scarlet. And that veil had angels embroidered on it in that entire most holy place. So here, how beautiful that is that you have a thyroid gland. If you look at it here, it's a picture of it in the human body. And, and this gland shrinks as you get older. It's, it's really prominent when you're young because it, it uh, produces T cells. Those are what we call the fighter cells of your body that helps to fight off infection. But as you get older, this shrinks. But if you look at it, it kind of looks like a butterfly or an angel with wings. How beautiful that corresponds with, because you're right here, right? We said the neck region corresponds with the second veil of the tabernacle and you have angels embroidered on that veil. How beautiful it is that you would have to, you would have to have some representation of an angel in your neck region or your region that, that divides your uh, chest cavity from your head cavity, right? So here we know that iodine is purple or, or a test for it is purple. But what we didn't know was that two of the three hormones produced by this thyroid gland, they have their main building block as iodine or iodine is purple. So once again, you have represented in this, in this veil or in this tabernacle pattern, you have red, which is pure blood. You have blue, which is um, unoxygenated blood. And then you have purple, which is iodine. So once again, it's not that the tabernacle pattern was made to fit the man's body. Man's body was made to fit the tabernacle pattern by the ultimate creator, which is Yahshua the Messiah or Yahweh Elohim. Okay, so let's go to the next one, Dr. Lewis. Okay, this is the holy place. Number six, in the holy place of the Mosaic tabernacle, one sees the high priest standing at, number seven, the golden altar of incense burning incense, which consisted of four principal ingredients called stacti, anicha, galbanum, and frankincense, which were sweet odoriferous spices. This incense perfumed the entire tabernacle and ascended through the second veil into the most holy place where Yahweh dwelled in the cloud above the mercy seat and was a sweet smelling savor to him for it represented the intercession made by the Holy Ghost, Elohim, to the Father. Yahweh. Okay, so now here we are in the Holy Place. And, you know, we have our, our vessels, you know, the seven branch lampstand, altar of incense, table of showbread. But remember, so now we're talking about this altar of incense, and here's kind of a mock up of what it looked like. So you have your four, you know, your one, two, three, four, I think it's four sides. I think we had a discussion about that with the four or five sides, but now I'll go into that. You have your four horns here on it, and this is where he take the incense, the, the combination that only he knew, he would burn them on this altar and that fragrance would go up into Yahweh to have a sweet smell. So that stench of death from the court roundabout wasn't there. But remember, we always talk about your lungs and here, here this is an actual picture of human lungs. These lungs are, un, um, these are pretty much uh, pure, I'm sorry, not pure, um, lungs that haven't been uh, contaminated by cigarette smoke. You ever seen a, a, a lung, pair of lungs that have been contaminated by cigarette smoke or any kind of um, substance that you inhale, they're black. They, it, just, it just devastates the lungs. That's why you know, COVID is so bad too, because it just devastates these lungs because this tissue, this tissue is very, very delicate. So here is a picture of the lungs 
with kind of like an illustration. And what the reason I wanted to show you is because when you first look at it this way, this looks like a huge branch. So this is your trachea coming down, going into your lungs and this huge branch. So you don't think of the trunk of a tree. So think of your lungs as an upside down tree. Then when you go in here, you'll see they branch off into smaller you know, branches, which is what a tree does, right? And then when you go even deeper into it, they branch off even smaller. And then what a tree does, you'll see, you can kind of make out some bigger branches in the tree, but once all those leaves get there, you can't see these little branches, but they're there. And each one of these little branches, they have these, these little sacs, these aerial sacs called alveoli, I get that mixed up. And they are very, very, very delicate. Once they are destroyed, they are destroyed. I, I knew someone very close to me that died of what's called bilateral blast disease. And what that was is he had smoked since the time he was 14, those little aerial sacs turned into hard marbles. And you know, as well as I do, you can't get air into a marble. You can get air into a balloon because it's pliable and that's what those sacs are when they're healthy. Once they've been destroyed by cigarette smoke or anything else, they become hard as marbles and you can't get air in. And that's what they eventually, they, they pretty much drowned because they could not, not drown, but they suffocated because they couldn't get air into their lungs anymore. But these little, little sacs, this is what gives you that sweet smelling savior. When you breathe in these little sacs, they blow up and then they go down, they blow up and they go down. And this is what gives you your sweet smelling savior. And it does look like a tree. I think I can, can I make it? I was gonna try and take it and make it up right side up, but you can see it. It does look like an upside down tree. Okay, go ahead, Dr. Lewis. All right. The incense perfumed the entire tabernacle and ascended through the second veil into the most holy place where Yahweh dwelt. Oh, I just read that part. I'll finish. Where Yahweh dwelt in the cloud above the mercy seat. And was a sweet smelling savor to him, for it represented the intercession made by the Holy Ghost, Elohim, to the Father, Yahweh. Number eight. The seven branched golden candlestick can be seen on the left in the holy place, and it gave light unto the sanctuary so that there was never any darkness there. It was extinguished at nine o'clock in the morning when the daylight illuminated the sanctuary. It was trimmed and made ready for the relighting at three o'clock in the afternoon when daylight began to fade. And it would burn all through the night until the next morning. All of the seven branches of it proceeded out of the main stem on either side, and it was filled with oil from the main stem. Okay. The next one's the temperature. So now here, once again, we're still in the holy place. So now we have that seven branch lampstand. And what he does is, I think, I don't know if he does the correlation in this part, but we're gonna do a little bit of it and we can come back to it. So remember he said the, the seven branch lampstand, the oil was poured into the middle branch, as you can see here, and then it just moved into each branch on either side. So that's seven branches, and that relates to the seven uh, dispensations and ages and seven steps in the tabernacle, because we know with Yahweh, seven is complete. So you have you know, seven days in a week, that's one complete week. You have seven ages and the ages and dispensations, that's, that's complete to Yahweh. So when you pour that oil in the middle branch and it fills all of them up, that middle branch 
in essence, is supplying all the other branches with the oil that they need to be lit. So we know that Yahshua the Messiah came in in the fourth age, he's the middle branch, to pour his spirit out to all those in all the ages. So this main branch is Yahshua the Messiah because he is our main branch. And that oil or his Holy Spirit was poured out to pick up everyone before his death and everyone after. So there is no more need for sacrifices and offerings because the Holy Spirit, which is poured out from that main branch, which is Yahshua the Messiah, he took care of, of it all. Okay, so now um, I think, yeah, it's going to come back to this. So I'm going to come back to that slide and we're going to move on to the table of showbreads. Go ahead, Dr. Liz. Number nine, the golden table of shewbread can be seen on the right side of the holy place with its two rows of bread, six loaves on either side. It is a four-sided furnishing with a golden crown around the border, the border of it. The high priest ate daily of the bread on the table of shewbread, and which was kept ever present for him. This was his daily sustenance, as well as the meat offering and drink offering of which he partook. Okay, so now this table of shewbread, as we know, we're still in the holy place. And this table of shewbread was the sustenance that the holy, the, the priest needed. But well, we know Yahshua is our, um, Yahshua is the bread of life or that bread that came down from heaven or manna. So when you look at your heart, and this is an actual human heart, you'll see that kind of like golden color looks like fat, which is really what it is. It protects the heart. It's almost like it's a crown right around the heart. So that's what he was talking about. This table of showbread has a crown around it that correlates to your heart, which has that golden crown around it, right? And so he talked about the four, the four uh, sides of that table of showbread, where your heart has four chambers. This chamber here, your blue chamber, your, your blood, the deoxygenated or, or blood that does not have any oxygen, it comes into the right atrium. It makes its way to the right ventricle. Then it goes over into the left ventricle. I'm sorry, it goes out to the lungs, picks up that air. So see here, these are coming in from the body. This here, this here is coming in from the body. Then from here, it goes out. This here is going to the lungs. It goes, it gets that oxygen, that oxygenated blood. It comes back from the lungs. Then it goes to the left atrium, the left ventricle, and out through those uh, branches out to the rest of the body to feed the body. But of course, the heart gets his first, just like Yahshua the Messiah. He's the first fruits. He deserves the first fruits. He is the one that is the first fruits of all of us. So we have to ensure that he is the first one that we give our blessings and honor to. So mm. here, this is just a um, sonogram of an actual human heart. So you can actually see if they do a sonogram of your heart, this is what they're seeing. And they can see those valves there where the blood comes in and the blood goes through and it comes out. And I remember um, our Dean, Dr. Eugene Brazil, when he had a valve replaced, I would put my head on his chest and you could hear the metal valve going quickly. I used to love to do that because that just blew my mind that, you know, you can hear it because, you know, a, a normal, when you, when someone who has a regular valve and you put their head on your chest, you really can't hear it. But when it's replaced by a metal valve, all you hear was click, 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 click. And it just, it just used to blow my mind because it's just an 
awesomeness of Yahweh to allow man to be able to replace something that's inside one of the most delicate organs in your heart to allow you to keep functioning. So it was like one of these valves that had to be replaced and they replaced it with metal. But this, this heart, this human heart is correlated to the table of Shubran. Okay, so now we're gonna go to the, the holy place with the tavern. Okay, go ahead, Dr. Liz. Which slide I need to get next. Comparing the holy place of the tabernacle with number six, the chest cavity of the physical body, one finds number seven, the lungs serving the same capacity or function as the golden altar of incense. Mm -hmm. To be real polytechnical, one finds that the larynx situated above the windpipe or trachea has two superior cornu horns and two inferior cornu, just as the golden altar of incense had four horns on it, one at each corner. Okay. The air which we breathe is composed mainly of four ingredients, nitrogen, oxygen, carbon di dioxide, and hydrogen as aqueous vapor, which corresponds to the four principal ingredients of the incense burned on the golden altar of incense. Yes, and air or oxygen is burned in our bodies for the process of oxidation, which is the, uni the uniting of oxygen with other substances in a burning process. Okay, pause right there. Now he's going to go some more into it, but I want to talk about what he was just talking about. He was talking about these four horns here on your larynx, and they correspond to the four horns on the altar of incense. So remember, this is where your food goes down and your, your air goes down. You know, there's a, um, uh, I forgot it, uh, there's a valve there that prevents air from going down where the food should go and food from going down where the air should go. When sometimes that doesn't work, you either choke or, you know, you have to spit up, you burp up air because it went, you know, down the wrong spot. But here you can see the horns in the front, the two in the front, and the two in the back. We just talked about that. And here you'll see this says thyroid cartilage. This is where your thyroid sits. This is the cartilage it sits on. So even here, it looks like it has wings, right? Okay, so keep going, Dr. Lee. It need not be said that breathing, I'm sorry, it need not be said that breathing of good fresh air is a sweet smelling savor unto all the tissues of the body and that it fragrantizes all of the body just as the incense did the tabernacle. The brain corresponding to the cloud where Yahweh dwelt is especially expectant and desirous of this air or oxygen as it is the most vulnerable of all body tissues when it comes to oxygen lack. Remember the incense wafting through the second veil into the most holy place. Your brain needs that oxygen. It, it can't go as long as any other organ without that oxygen. Once it's deprived of oxygen, it's dead, it's gone. Or oh, that person will be in what they call a vegetative state, right? Okay, so now we're gonna go to, we're gonna go back to that slide with the heart. Okay, go ahead, Dr. Lewis. Let us remind the reader at this point that Yahweh forbade anyone to duplicate the holy incense, and only the high priest knew how to make it. Mm -hmm. Doesn't this compare beautifully with the fact that no one has yet been able to determine the exact composition of air, which only Yahweh knows? Mm -hmm. Now, what they what they um, have, have found out is that the, the, I think it's 70% of air has nitrogen in it, but then it has these other trace elements. But as you know, Dr. Kinley just said, 
they don't know the exact composition. That's why when you're on oxygen, you're on oxygen. You're not on air. You're just on pure oxygen. And a lot of times they'll put people in a hyperbaric chamber to get that oxygen saturated in their blood if there's an issue that can be solved with putting oxygen in the blood. But they don't put you in an air chamber, they put you in an oxygen chamber because once again, no one knows that exact composition. Okay. Okay, number eight. The seven-branched golden, golden candlestick corresponds with the aorta, that great blood vessel which comes off the heart and has just seven branches which distribute oxygenated blood to all the body. Note, we shall designate the seven branches of the candlestick by letters to differentiate or distinguish from our regular use of numbers. <clears throat> A, the innominate artery coming off the arch of the aorta typifies the main stem of the candlestick and it gives off B, the right common carotid and C, the right subclavian arteries. <laughs> Pause for me. Oh, sorry. Now, the, that's okay. So the inanimate, they used to call it that. Now the name of it is brachiocephalic. So when you see brachiocephalic, that's what that is. That's that inanimate, inanimate aorta that, they, um, that they're talking about. And you'll find that in medicine, there were a lot of names, especially if you have an old edition of Gray's Anatomy, where the name um, has changed because they know better what that organ does. So here the brachiocephalic, cephalic, if I'm not mistaken, and if I have any medical people on, let me know, cephalic is referring to your head. So they know this branch goes somewhere up into the head. So that's why they named it instead of inanimate to brachiocephalic. So start that over for me, Dr. Lewis. I just wanted to make that a distinction. Mm -hmm. A, the innominate artery coming off the arch of the aorta typifies the main stem of the candlestick, and it gives off B, the right common carotid, and C, right subclavian arteries. D, the left common carotid, and E, left subclavian, also come off at the arch of the aorta, while the F, right, and G, left coronary arteries come off of the ascending aorta. The descending aorta in its thoracic portion gives off numerous branches, which are too small to diminish its size. The blood circu circulating through this great vessel, the aorta, gives life unto the whole body continuously, day and night, just as the oil burning in the golden candlestick furnished continual light unto the tabernacle. Even the flickering of the light of the candlestick can be likened unto the pulsation of the aorta and its branches. Mm -hmm. So that is the heart compared to, once again, that seven branch lampstand. So remember, he talked about that main branch of the aorta, which is that descending, I'm sorry, the main branch of the aorta, which is that descending aorta being compared to the main branch of the seven branch lampstand. And once again, we know that that main branch is Yahshua the Messiah because he is the one that holds us up. Okay, so go ahead, Dr. Lewis. I think we're on number nine. Yeah, number nine. The golden table of shoebread compares with the four-chambered heart. As the golden candlestick was placed on the one side of the holy place and the golden table of shoebread on the other side, so was the heart placed more to the left side and the aorta more to the right side of the body. The four chambers of the heart compare with the four corners of the table of shoebread. 
The, br the bread placed in two rows on the table signifies the two halves of the heart, the right and the left. I'll pause right there because, it, you know, once again, I'm just getting um, pictures from the internet. They have them stacked. They weren't stacked. They were in rows, just like you see here, right? Okay, keep going. The golden crown around the border of the table corresponds to the coronary, which means crown, vessels encircling the heart. And the heart is truly one's daily bread, for it is by the constant beating of the heart that life is sustained. Okay, keep going. Okay. Number 10. The first veil separated the holy place from number 11, the outer court. And the entrance was by the door seen in our diagram on the left. Immediately before the door is number 12, the brazen laver, which contained water for washing the sacrificial animals before placing them on number 14, the brazen altar of sin offering, which is located just inside number 15, the gate of the outer court. The brazen laver had a foot or pedestal on which it stood. And the brazen altar was a four-cornered furnishing with a horn on each corner where the blood was placed during the sacrificial ceremonies. Over the head of the high priest is pictured a vessel containing number 13, the holy anointing oil, which was poured on the head of the priest and signified anointing by the Holy Spirit or quickening. Mm -hmm. So if you see it here, you see that, that holy uh, cup of anointing oil. That's what he's talking about. And then you'll see um, over here, those adrenal glands. Now, this is not the only place you have adrenaline glands, but they're depicted here because we know adrenaline is a quickening. And I think my, my graphics, my other um, writing kind of left me. But you have adrenaline that gives you that quickening that you, know, that you need to, um, when your body's response needs to be quick. And that's what the adrenaline gland does just as that holy cup of anointing oil, I'm sorry, correction, the cup of holy anointing oil, because the cup wasn't holy, it was what in it, what was in it that was holy. So, and that corresponds to us, the outer man not being holy, it's that man that within us, is that what Yahshua or Yahweh is dealing with. This outer vessel is us as a filthy rags to Yahweh, it's what is your soul that he's dealing with. Okay, go ahead, Dr. Lewis. I think some of my slides are missing, but we're going to just go with the flow. Keep on going. In our diagram on the right, one can see that number 10, the diaphragm forms the first veil and separated the chest cavity from number 11, the abdominal cavity, which is the outer court of the physical body. And that number 12, the two kidneys, which are ordinarily located on, in the right and left flanks, are brought together to form a perfect configuration of the brazen labor. Okay, pause right there. So that's, that's my graphic that's missing. I don't know what happened to it, that diaphragm. So your diaphragm, if you look here, you see that little brown part there, that's your diaphragm. So that diaphragm separates your abdominal cavity from your chest cavity. And that diaphragm, is, it comes, it lifts up and it lifts down. So that's your diaphragm. And I really wanted you to see a real picture of a real diaphragm, but we can maybe do that another day. Okay, keep going. And then it, then it talks about your kidneys, which are at your back and they're on the left and right side. But here, what they have, they have them together so that you can see 
that they form a perfect configuration of this um, brazen labor of washing. Go ahead. One might ask the question, why then are they, the two kidneys, separated in the physical body? It is to prove conclusively that Yahweh did divide the waters of the Red Sea for Moses and the Israelites. For the kidneys with water therein represent the Red Sea or the brazen laver. So now a kidney, when you actually see a real kidney, they're actually, if they're filled with blood, they are red. They're like a bloody red. And you know, if you, you know, ever um, had chicken or you butchered a, um, you know, a turkey or whatever, and you see the kidneys, it's that dark blood color red. That's why it's because all of your blood is filtered through those kidneys. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. I'm getting that so wrong. That's your uh, liver that filters the blood, but your kidneys, they have oxygen too. They need that oxygen. So they are tinted red, but it's the liver that filters your blood. So thank you, Yashua, for the correction. Okay, keep going. The reader will find a fuller explanation of this under the subject of the excretory system and the pattern. Mm -hmm. The size and foot of the brazen labor are formed by the two ureters descending from the kidneys and the urinary bladder where the urine is held until passage. So these are the ureters. These are what takes that waste that your body no longer needs, urine, and it passes it down to your urinary bladder. So this is what he's referring to here. Okay, go ahead. The protuberances above each kidney represents number 13 the adrenal glands, which contain the substance adrenaline, which quickens the various muscles and other tissues of the body, just as the holy anointing oil did the high priest. The picture frame configuration of the large intestines represents the brazen altar, and the small intestines where most of the food is digested, burned, are located within this framework. Okay, pause right there. So if you could see, you can, if you can barely see an outline of the small intestines here. But you often hear when, when you know, the um, speakers talk about you have your ascending colon, your transverse, because trans means across. That's why it's called transverse, it's across. Descending colon, of course, you know, descending means down, and then your sigmoid colon. So that configuration, you can see that square configuration, but inside it here is very faint. That's your small intestines. Go ahead. The food thus becomes the sacrifice, which is burned on the altar. Mm -hmm. The gate of the outer court corresponds with number 15, the rectal opening, by which all waste products of digestion are eliminated, mm -hmm. just as the skin, hair, and other portions of the sacrificial animals were taken without the camp and discarded or burned. Mm -hmm. The bone structure of man's physical body represents the pillars, bars, bars and boards which were the supporting structures of the tabernacle. Okay, pause right there for a second. So now we've gone through the interior um, vessels of this tabernacle, and we've correlated them to the vessels in man's physical body. And, you know, barring mistakes that I've made, the correlation is perfect because this physical body was made according to the tabernacle, the divine tabernacle pattern, which is Yahweh Elohim. But Yahweh, and I need one of the readers to get that for me, um, see that thou make it, um, uh, because it's the pattern of heavenly things. So when Yahweh gave Moses that divine vision, vision and revelation in the mount, and he showed him 
a perfectly fully furnished tabernacle pattern, he told him, don't you err in making this tabernacle because it's the pattern of heavenly things. Well, Yahweh can't just say that to you and not give you his spirit to not err because that's what that holy cup of anointing oil did for that high priest. That high priest was anointed with that holy cup of anointing oil, which is correlative of having the Holy Spirit in him so that he could function without error in this tabernacle pattern. So that's when we have Yahshua the Messiah in us. It's not that we don't have errors, but we are doing the will of the Father. We are following in, Yah in the steps that Yahshua gave us to follow, not his footsteps, because if his footsteps, then we'd have to get beaten and put on the cross. But we're following the steps that he gave us, and that is learning about him. So that, that adrenaline gland pouring out, that um, quickening to the body when it needs to perform a function as to, into running or excitement, that's what that oil did. And Moses saw that. He saw all of this. He saw the co-relationships. He understood it because Yahweh gave it to him to understand. That's why when he came down from that pattern that third time, from seeing the mount, I'm sorry, from the mount the third time, his face was just illuminated and he had to put a veil over it because the glory of it was just too much for everyone else. So you have that scripture for me, one of the leaders? Yes. Mm -hmm. I have Exodus 25 and 8. Mm -hmm. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them according to all that I showed thee after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall thee make it. Mm -hmm. And then the 40th verse is, uh-oh, sorry. And look that thou make them after their pattern, which was showed thee in the mount. And it's also in Hebrews 8 chapter mm -hmm. about Moses. Mm -hmm. Let me go there. Mm -hmm. Can you, you want me to go there? Yeah, if you have it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Hebrews 8, and I'll start at 4. Mm -hmm. For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that, that offer gifts according to the law, who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of Elohim when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, say he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. Mm -hmm. So that's Yahweh telling Moses after he gave him that, that vision and revelation of, you know, Yahweh Elohim and this tabernacle pattern to make this as it was shown to you in the mount. And Dr. Decker, I need to get you, I need you to get me where he, Yahweh put his spirit in um, Heliab and I always forget the other one, so that they could also make this tabernacle or the parts in this tabernacle exactly how Yahweh advised them to do. So here, this tabernacle pattern, that's what sets us apart from any other, I won't say other, because if I say other, that's a comparison. This is not a school, I'm sorry, this is not a church, it's a school. So here we don't, um, we don't have uh, religious worship. We come here to learn, just as Yahweh gave this to Moses, he gave this to us through Dr. Kinley. So what we're doing we're learning about the co-relationship 
of this divine tabernacle pattern with everything in the universe. Today, we're correlating it with the human body of the man. And so what Yahweh does, and he's always done, is everything that that man is, is a, is a relationship to this structure and function of this tabernacle pattern. But when Yahweh gave this to Moses to build, he couldn't just leave it up to Moses to remember, because I don't know about you, but I, most of the time, if someone gives me that much detail, I cannot remember it right off the bat. Yahweh had to put his spirit in him to give the direction to do it, but then he had to do something else to those that Moses talked to. Did you find that, Dr. Decker? I was looking for it, Felicia. I'm still searching. I know it's an X. Oh, okay. Um, Exodus 36 mm -hmm. and one. And Moses, uh, okay. Then wrought Bezalel and Aholiab and every wise-hearted man in whom Yahweh put wisdom and understanding to know how to work all manner of work for the service of the sanctuary, according to all that Yahweh had commanded. Mm -hmm. That is so pretty. So what that's telling you is Yahweh had to give him his spirit, those, those ones that he gave to, that he commissioned to build this tabernacle, he had to give them wisdom and understanding so they would know what they were building. They would know how to build it. They would know the actual dimensions of the things that they were building. They would know how to sew these curtains. They would know how to temper this um, uh, brazen seven, lamp, seven golden lampstand because it had almonds on each of the, um, on the branches. They would know how to temper this table of shoe bread. They would know how to build this this brazen labor of washing perfectly so that it was without error. Why? Because it's the pattern of heavenly things. So all of these things in this tabernacle pattern, and I've said it before, you can go out to the um, cemetery in Plymouth, Michigan, and they have a life-size replica of this tabernacle pattern. And you can look inside, they have a high priest there at the, at the altar and they have animals. <clears throat> excuse me, going up to the, to the altar of sin sacrifice. And it's really pretty because, you know, it's in your Bible, but what Yahweh didn't give that person that put that out there at that cemetery, he didn't give them the understanding of how that relates to your physical body, even though it's in the, in the Bible. But remember, we know what we know because of the divine vision and revelation given by our savior, Yahweh to Dr. Henry Clifford Keller. So these things that we come to know, it is only by divine inspiration that we know them. It's nothing of ourselves. So when you when she read there that Yahweh put his spirit, the wisdom and knowledge in him, he didn't just do that for them. He did that for everyone in the world. So you have scientists out here that, you know, have come up with cures for diseases and all kinds of things. That was Yahweh giving them the wisdom and the knowledge. It wasn't they were so smart that they came up with it. Yahweh gave man the wisdom and the knowledge to build an airplane, the right brother. Yahweh did that. Yahweh gave man the wisdom and the knowledge to build a boat. Look at Noah. How is someone who's never seen rain before gonna build a boat? It was Yahweh giving him that wisdom and knowledge and giving him a vision to show him how to do it. So it's always Yahweh. That's who we give the credit to when things are invented. 
or you know, miracle cures come through, breakthroughs, or even if you go to a therapist, because you know, especially uh, in the African American community, we always like to say, "Oh, you you don't need no therapist. You need to talk to God." You know, and I, I find we do that a lot in class too. Yahweh gave that therapist the ability to help you work through your issues, so you then you can come back to Him and say, "Thank you, Yahweh, for sending me to that therapist." Right. It's all about Yahweh gives all of this wisdom to man to help us. It's not counterproductive for Yahweh to give man wisdom and then not have it help us. That's what Yahweh does. That's what he is. He is an awesome creator. So now what we're going to do, I think, Dr. Lewis, we're talking about the bone structures, right? Right. Okay, so let me see. Okay, 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 good. Okay, go ahead. The bone structure of man's physical body represents the pillars, bars, bars, and boards, which were the supporting structures of the tabernacle. Mm -hmm. The tibia bone in the leg or femur bone in the thigh are good examples of a pillar which made up the tabernacle. Mm -hmm. The flat bones, such as the scapula and the bones of the skull, are good examples of boards in the tabernacle. Mm -hmm. Whereas the short, stubby bones, as the metacarpal bones of the hands, the metatarsal bones of the foot are good examples of the bars of the tabernacle. Okay, so pause right there. So I, I love um, the skeletal system because when man is, you know, decomposed, when he's gone, his bones remain. And we know that that points to that spiritual or that inner man within you living on after this flesh is gone. But interesting thing about the bones is that, you know, from the bones, you can tell whether someone's male or female. And it's interesting to me, um, I've said this before, when I was in um, high school, I went to what they used to have, I think they still have them, they're vocational schools. I went to one that was uh, dealing with medicine. It was called George Crockett uh, Voc Tech Center. And what we would do there, um, I did one of my summer internships in the Wayne County Morgue under Dr. Warner Spitz. So we would see the bones, you know, the bodies come in and occasionally we would get a body that was badly decomposed and the only thing were the bones. And so what the coroner would do, the first thing he would do was look at the hands. And he said, okay, if you look at it in the women, the ring finger and the index finger are usually the same. So see here, they're kind of like the same, but in the men, the index finger is usually a lot shorter than the ring finger. So that was one way they would be able to tell male from female. Of course, another was the, the wideness of the hips. And another one I thought was always interesting was the, um, the indentations in the skull. Men, because they have more muscle than women, they will have more indentations in their skull because that's that muscle making those grooves where a woman's skull would be more smooth. So that's a way, like if they only found a skull, that's one way they would be able to tell if it was male versus female. So here, what they're talking about is how those pillars, bars, and boards of the tabernacle correspond with the bones of the human body. How so? Your bones, you have different types of bones, and these are the bone types. You have short bones, like I was talking about, and your metatarsals. Metatarsals are the bones in your feet. Metacarpals, C-A-R-P are the bones in your hand. An easy way to remember it is if someone says I have carpal tunnel, that's metacarpal. That's these bones here. So those are the bones in your hand or metacarpal, metatarsal are the bones in your feet. So you have those short stubby bones 
you have the flat bone, like the skull, you know, like you like me, you got a big forehead, you got a big old flat bone in your head. And then you have, you know, your long bones, like those bones in your thigh. They're, those are the pillars that help you to stand. And you see here, the bones in your, this guy's got really long arms. Um, you have uh, the upper arm and then the forearm, you have your, um, you know, your tibia and your fibia, I'm sorry, your femur and your, I'm sorry, your ulna, <laughs> your ulna and your radius bones are in your arm. So these bones, and see here's an irregular bone. So these bones correspond, and I'm going to jump all the way, oh, I won't have to jump back too far, cool. These bones correspond to the pillars, the boards, and the bars that gave the tabernacle its foundation or its structure. So the bones in your human body give you your structure. They are what hold you up. And what's interesting is that your, your femur bone, which is the largest bone and the thickest bone in your body is your femur bone. These give you, these correspond with the pillars in, the, uh, in uh, Solomon's temple. Now, the pillars in Solomon's temple, they were named after, I think it's Moses' great-grandfather and um, 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 Obed, Ruth, uh, Ruth's husband. Those were the ones that the pillars were named after. And it's, it's really pretty when you look at it in Solomon's temple, because remember, Solomon's temple was patterned after a man sitting on a throne. So if he's sitting, these would be bent, right? These would be his knees. And then you'd have these two pillars here. They would be touching the ground and these would be sitting on that throne. So it's really pretty. Even Solomon's temple goes by this pattern. And that big dome would be corresponding to the man's head. So going back to the pillars, bars, and boards, you had, you know, flat bones in the, I'm sorry, boards in the tabernacle, which were flat. That would be like your flat bones in the body. You had um, uh, bars in the tabernacle. So that would be like, you know, something that was used to maybe go horizontally to connect two things. Uh, and then you had boards and uh, pillars. So once again, it's not, you don't, you know, you'll go, oh, well, why don't all of these look exactly like that? Look at the, manif I'm sorry, not the manifestation, the uh, principle. The principle is that you have these boards, these different shaped bones in your body that corresponds to the pillars, boards, and bars and the tabernacle pattern. Because Yahweh leaves nothing to man's imagination, all of these. So I want the readers, you see these scriptures here, if you could get these scriptures for me. You have uh, Exodus 26 and 27. You have Exodus 26, 29, and then Exodus, well, I guess you can just go ahead and get it, go to Exodus 26 chapter if you don't mind. And this is going into the, the structure of that uh, tabernacle pattern. And that's why you see that here. So go ahead. Exodus 26 and 27. Mm -hmm. And five bars for the boards of the other side. Of, <clears throat> let me go to 26. Mm -hmm. And thou shalt make bars of shittim wood. You know what, Dr. Decker, you might as well go up to 24 because we're going to have to go back here. So go okay. up. <laughs> Exodus 26 and 24. Mm -hmm. And they shall be coupled together beneath. And they shall be coupled together above the head of it unto one ring. Pause right there. So what they're talking about, I, mean, I couldn't 
I could not find a good enough representation of these individually to show you, but just, just imagine what they're doing. Yahweh's giving detailed explanation of how this thing should be built. So we're talking about two, which is couple, that means two, coupling together so that they can have a, one above and one below, and it's gonna be in one ring. See these rings here? Those rings were used to connect or to um, anchor. Okay, go ahead, Dr. Uh, Decker. Yes. <clears throat> I'll go to 23, Exodus 26, 23. And two boards shalt thou make for the corners of the tabernacle in the two sides, and they shall be coupled together beneath, and they shall be coupled together above the head of it unto one ring. Mm -hmm. Thus shall it be for them both. They shall be for the two corners. Mm -hmm. And they shall be eight boards and their sockets of silver, 16 sockets, mm -hmm. two sockets under one board and two sockets under another board. Mm -hmm. And they shall make bars of shittim wood, five for the boards of the one side of the tabernacle, Mm -hmm. and five bars for the boards of the other side of the tabernacle. So here he's getting, once again, detailed explanation. I found this um, diagram. I thought it was really cool. You know, once again, they don't, they can never seem to get this stuff right. But you can see where you have different types of, you know, these are the pillars. And you see these boards, which are coming across here. And then you have some bars here. So this is kind of giving you an understanding of how this thing was built. You know, they have the, the most holy place sectioned off and I don't see a, a, uh, a curtain for the holy place, but you can kind of get an idea of what that is. And then they have these things labeled so you can see what they are. You know, they have one as the ark, two as the curtain. So it's just kind of a little little bit of a, a diagram for you to see what she's reading. Okay, uh, go ahead. And as you can see, the scriptures are all here. So go ahead and keep reading, Dr. Decker. Mm -hmm. Exodus 26, 26 to refresh. And thou shalt make bars of shittim wood, five for the boards of the one side of the tabernacle and five bars, five bars for the boards of the other side of the tabernacle and five bars for the boards of the side of the tabernacle for the two sides westward. Mm -hmm. And the middle bar in the midst of the board shall reach from end to end. Mm -hmm. and, and thou shalt overlay the boards with gold and make their rings of gold for places for the bars. And thou shalt overlay the bars with gold. So if you look at this bar here, you see it on this board, it, it looks golden. So they overlaid it with gold. And then the rings here that are used as an attachment, they were also with gold, okay? Continue reading. Yes, please. Mm -hmm. That will be Exodus 26 and 30. Mm -hmm. And thou shalt rear up the tabernacle according to the fashion thereof, which was showed thee in the mount. And thou shalt make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twine linen of skillful work with cherubims shall it be made. Mm -hmm. And thou shalt hang it upon four pillars 
of shittim wood overlaid with gold. Their hooks shall be of gold upon the four sockets of silver. And thou shalt hang up the veil under the tatches that thou mayest bring in thither within the veil, the ark of the testimony. And the veil shall divide unto you between the holy place and the most holy. And thou shalt put the mercy seat upon the ark of the testimony in the most holy place. And thou shalt set the table without the veil and the candlestick over against the table on the side of the tabernacle toward the south. Mm -hmm. And thou shalt put the table on the north side. Mm -hmm. And thou shalt make a hanging for the door of the tent mm -hmm. of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twined linen wrought with needlework. And thou shalt make for the hanging five pillars of shittim wood and overlay them with gold mm -hmm. and their hooks shall be of gold and thou shalt cast five sockets of brass for them. Mm -hmm. 27 and one. And thou shalt make the altar of shittim wood five cubits long and five cubits broad. The altar shall be four square, and the height thereof shall be three cubits. We can pause. Now, the reason I wanted her to go through that was because Yahweh didn't leave anything out. He gave exact details of what he needs to, what he wants done, and how he wanted this tabernacle configured. There was no, you know, Moses. You know, I want you to build a tabernacle like this, but when you get to the holy place, you know what? Just, you know, do what you feel is right. Uh, right? He didn't do that. He gave exact instructions on every single instrument, every single, <coughs> excuse me, every single dimension in this tabernacle. So that's how we know Yahweh is Yahweh. Yahweh is not leaving anything up to man's understanding because he created man. He knows how we are. He knows we'll mess it up. So he gave the exact and divine instruction of how to build this tabernacle. And Moses did not err therein. So I thought that was really pretty. So we're going to um, stop there and I'm gonna have Dr. Lewis uh, finish because we got a couple more um, paragraphs, but I'm gonna leave this up just because I think it was, that was a really cool illustration. So go ahead and unfinish Dr. Lewis. <clears throat> this then has been a polytechnical comparison of the mosaic tabernacle with the tabernacle of man's body. But please bear in mind that the physical or visible things point to the invisible or spiritual things. Yes, Yahshua the Messiah was a physical man just like you or I, but he was really Yahweh who is spirit manifested in a visible form. Therefore, all of the components, excuse me, therefore all of the component parts or members of our physical body are physical expressions of spiritual things, pause, such as. Read that again. And I really listen to what he just said, because in the beginning, when we started, find my sheet here. Let me go back. When we started, we talked about keeping in mind that 
that this is a spiritual manifestation. I'm sorry, everything in your body is a spiritual manifestation. So I'm sorry, I'm not saying that right. Yes, keep read that over again for me, Dr. Lewis, so I don't mess it up. This then has been a polytechnical comparison of the mosaic tabernacle with the tabernacle of man's body. But please bear in mind that the physical or visible things point to the invisible or spiritual things. And that's not just the physical body. That's everything that is in the universe. Mm -hmm. Yes, Yahshua the Messiah was a physical man, just like you or I. But he was really Yahweh, who is spirit, manifested in a visible form. Therefore, all of the component parts or members of our physical body are physical expressions of spiritual things, mm -hmm. such as intelligence, wisdom, knowledge, love, beauty, justice, foundation, power, and strength, which are the divine attributes or members which make up the spiritual super incorporeal body of Elohim. Pause right there. So he gave you those nine divine attributes. And if you read in the third volume, each of those attributes corresponds to a different system in the body. You know, love, which is the one I like, it corresponds to the circulatory system. Justice, which is also a good one, corresponds to the excretory system. Well, why does, why does justice correspond to the excretory system? Because the excretory system takes that things that are good for you and things that are not good for you, and it judges which is which, and it gets rid of those things that are not. So that's why it corresponds. It's just really beautiful. So all Yahweh's attributes in this textbook, you can correlate them to a system in the body beautifully. Intelligence corresponds to our nervous system, right? It is so pretty when Yahweh gives you the understanding to really look at this and understand that everything is representing something from a spiritual standpoint mm -hmm. as in Romans 1, 19 and 20. So we can know him and worship him how he really is and actually exists and not how we imagine him to be. Felicia, trust me, I'm talking to myself. Okay, let's finish reading that. In summation, let me say that this simple Yahweh-given pattern not only fits the physical body, but everything in the cosmographical makeup of this universe. The smallest bit of matter that man has any knowledge of, the atom, is basically composed of a proton, neutron, and electron, corresponding to the most holy place, holy place, and outer court of the mosaic tabernacle. Mm -hmm. And the scientists to date have found only nine classifications of subatomic particles, which make up the atom, which further compares with the nine furnishings of the tabernacle. The Ark of the Covenant with the archangel on either side being made of one piece was a three-in-one furnishing in the most holy place. The golden altar of incense, table of shoe bread, and golden candlestick were the three furnishings in the holy place, and the brazen labor, holy anointing oil, and brazen altar of sacrifice were the three furnishings in the outer court. Okay, thank you so much, Dr. Lewis. So that, I, once again, um, Yahweh directed me to do that because when we're going through the human body and we're doing this science of the mind chart, if you can just, you know, get a... Um, a visual in your mind of these body parts that we talk about, like the pituitary gland, you know, um, that's here, you know, you can kind of then what your mind can do is you can correlate that to 
that instrument in the tabernacle that it points to without actually going and looking it up. So I wanted to get these visuals in your mind so that you will have them there for further reference. That, you know, arterial circular willis, which I think is the coolest thing when you see it. If you've ever seen it live, it's just amazing to see that. It actually looks like a man. And then, you know, just to see these things and understand that everything in this pattern corresponds to something in your physical body. Mm -hmm. That gives you a better understanding of how Yahweh gave Moses an understanding of how to build this tabernacle. And then how he gave um, Solomon the understanding of how to build Solomon's temple. He said he took, he took his hand and just went right over his body. And this is how you're going to build it. So by understanding these things, you have a more perfect understanding of the way Yahweh really is and how he actually exists. And so with that, I'm going to stop and call on our next speaker, which will be Dr. Um, Dr. Dye from our Muskegon, Michigan branch. Good evening. Good evening. I truly enjoyed that testimony my previous speakers, and I'm glad Yahweh has uh, put it in the ministers to review these things about man made in the image of Elohim by the pattern of the tabernacle. I often say this is a school, not a church. It's a product of a divine vision and revelation that was given to our founder, Dr. Henry Clifford Kinley in the state of Ohio in the year 1931. And he went on and say, First Thessalonians 5 21. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Give us a second. Oh, okay. Just want to make sure. First <laughs> <laughs> Thessalonians. You said First Thessalonians? Five yes. Okay. First Thessalonians 5 and 21. Mm -hmm. Do not, oh, I'm sorry. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. Mm-hmm. Read on to 23. Okay. 22nd verse. Abstain mm -hmm. from all appearance of evil. Yes. And the very Elohim of peace sanctify you wholly. Mm -hmm. So that your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Savior, Yahshua, the Messiah. Okay. So what we're talking about, now let's go to uh, Genesis 1 and 26. Genesis 1 and 26. Go ahead. And Elohim said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creepy thing that creepeth upon the earth. Mm -hmm. Let me continue. So uh, Elohim, mm -hmm. so Elohim created man in his own image. In the image of Elohim created he him, male and female created he them. And Elohim blessed them and said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and every creepy thing that moveth upon the earth. And Elohim said, behold, I have given you every herb 
Baron C, well, which is a good. That's good right there. Nice. Yes. Now, what we're looking at now, we're looking at Elohim, the archetype original pattern of the universe chart. And what we're talking about, we're talking about how Moses and the children of Israel uh, came out into the wilderness of Sinai. You see, now, like I say here, now what we have here in the origin of this, we have this migratory pattern. See, and what I understand about that is that there's constant repetition of what we're looking at. We're looking at this tabernacle here, which is a most holy place in the court roundabout. So we follow the migratory pattern. In the court roundabout, you have Egypt. In the holy place, you have the wilderness of Sinai. The veil would be the Red, Red Sea. And then the wilderness of Sinai, they're going to spend 40 years out there. And then the second veil is going to be the river Jordan. And then you're going to have the most holy place. And in the most holy place, you have the tabernacle, I think is on Mount Zion and the temple on Mount Moriah. And she's mentioned them both. Now, what we're doing, we're repeating this same things. Exodus 24, 9 and 10. Exodus 24 and 1 and 2, and then 9 and 10. Exodus 24, 1 and 2. Yes. And he said unto Moses. Now, after the children of Israel got into the wilderness of Sinai, Yahweh told Aaron, Adab, and Abiden, and seven elders to come unto the mountain. You see, Moses alone would come up there. But read on. Exodus 24, 1. And he said unto Moses, Come up unto Yahweh, thou and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship ye afar off. And Moses alone, and Moses alone shall come near Yahweh, but they shall not come nigh, neither shall the people go up with him. And Moses came and told the people all the words of nine and ten. Okay, nine and ten. Yes. Then went up Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel. And they saw the Elohim of Israel. Okay, you can pause that for a minute. So we're looking on the plateau of this mountain. We have Moses, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and seven of the elders. And they saw the Elohim of Israel, and that's what they're looking at. But Moses alone is going to come up into the top of that mountain. And what Moses is going to see and what Moses is going to write, okay, he said, Moses alone shall come near Yahweh. See, but read on. And they saw the Elohim of Israel, and there was under his feet as it were, a paved work of a sapphire stone, and it and excuse me, and as it were, the body of heaven in its clearness. And upon the nobles of the children of Israel, he laid not his hand. Mm -hmm. Also, they saw Elohim and did eat and drink. Mm -hmm. Read and, on, please. Go ahead. And Yahweh said unto Moses, Come up to me into the mount and be there, and I will give thee tables of stone and a law and commandments which I have written that thou mayest teach them. Mm -hmm. 
and Moses rose up and his minister, Yahshua. And Moses went up into the Mount of Elohim. And he said unto the elders, tarry ye here for us until we come again unto you. And behold, Aaron and her are with you. And if any man have any matters to do, let him come unto them. And Moses went up into the mount, and a cloud covered the mount. And the glory of Yahweh abode upon Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. So what we're talking about here, we're talking about Moses having that panoramic vision. Moses is a credit to writing the first five books of the Bible. I guess it's Exodus, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Now, as a school, see, and that's one of the books that we need to review to encourage and promote. I don't remember what aim that is, but to encourage and promote the study of the scriptures, comparative religion, psychology, philosophy, modern, practical, and occult science. In this school, as students, and I found out it's vitally important that you read those first five books of the Bible, because we're going to compare that to everything that we're going to read in the prophets. So we say law, prophecy, fulfillment. Then we have Acts of the Apostles, which is a uh, document. And then we have those epistles and revelations. So it's essential that you get familiar with the law that was spoken to Israel only from the top of Mount Sinai. Now the founder called this chart, Elohim, the archetype original pattern. Now what we're looking at, and she said, she was reading about this represents all things spiritual. So what Moses has this panoramic vision of Yahweh Elohim in this superincorporeal form, you understand? And he has the superincorporeal body of a, of a spiritual man. And when we look at this man and we go to the sixth day of creation and he forms that man from the dust of the ground and we say that man was made spirit, that man was made soul, where was body, put round about, soul holy place and spirit in the most holy place. You understand? Because we're looking at Elohim transforming to this thoroughly furnished and tangible tabernacle and he's showing forth those six days of creation, resting on the seventh or Sabbath day, which you see Elohim again. And then you see the interior of that tabernacle. And then you see that high priest in, in the book of Revelation, who's a figure of that tabernacle or the high priest with his garments of beauty and glory on. And we have John on the Isle of Patmos, who's writing that book. So what the founder is doing and what we see in this illustration is that, and we read that previously, Exodus 25 uh, and eight in Hebrews eight and five, please. Exodus 25th chapter and eight verse. Okay, you want it again? I'll, I apologize. That's Exodus 25 and, excuse me, 25 and eight. Yes. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them according to all that I show thee after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall ye make it. 
Yes. And let me say something about this book of Exodus. Okay, you got a couple of things going on there, and we probably read that in there. Now, what we're having, we're having these two events that are going on, and it's talking about this tabernacle pattern and the structure of this tabernacle pattern that Moses alone on top of Mount Sinai and by himself is going to have to build. Now, she showed the illustration that some people had about the what, what I was looking at was looking at the tent, which is the most holy place and the holy place, because in the illustration, they did not show the court around about. You understand that they were showing principally the vessels and that tabernacle. You understand they was talking about the coverings, the curtains, the bars, pillars, the boards, the sockets that you have there. Now in the book of Exodus, and Moses is seeing this vision, but it's on the second trip into the mountain because the first trip, well, we'll just talk about the second trip and maybe the third trip. Yes, that's the illustration that she was talking about. It was the most holy place and the holy place. See, you don't see the court roundabout. You see the vessels, the altar of sin sacrifice and the brazen labor. And you see now there's something unique about this when we talk about that. Now this stood, now this, this most holy place and holy place was taller than the court that went round about. When you begin to start figuring those measurements, you see, and then we talk about how the high priest, now there were angels on the veils. You see the first and second veil, there was angels on the curtains. Now the angels are typical of the stars and the birds in the creation. When you look, when you compare that, if you had chart series number two and you look at those days of creation, we might want to take a peek at that. If you could pull that up, where you can see in the on the veils and the, well, maybe as we would say, yeah, yes. That's it. So this is what we have on the veil, the second veil in particular. On the third day, you have the flowers that are blooming. You understand? And then you have the stars on the fourth day. And you have one special planet up there, which is called Saturn. That's the red one down in, a, in the left-hand corner. And then you have the birds on the, what day is they? The fifth day. See, on the second veil, you see that they fly in the midst of the heavens. So we're looking at something in particular. Now, what the founder has done for us, and he's picked this up out of the book of Exodus, we're talking about how every one of these plates, see, goes by the pattern. The simple portion of that is that each one has a most holy place, a holy place, and a court roundabout. Now, he's pretty consistent about what he's doing. See, and Moses is a credit to writing. Maybe I'll move over there so we can see the sixth the plate on the sixth day. Yes, the sixth day of creation. That's where the man is made. See, body, put round about. Soul, holy place and spirit, most holy place. And you see that heart, it represents, that red heart represents universal spirit law. That's what it represents. And then over in the next plate, plate number 12, see now keep in mind that we're still talking about dispensations and ages and the way this, this vision is put together. See, 
When I think about vision drawn out, I think about chart series number two. But you have this deep, now when we look at the pattern, now we're looking at a pattern, but what we're looking at, we're looking at what we call the migratory pattern, where Moses and the children of Israel are coming out the land of Egypt through the divided waters of the Red Sea into the wilderness of Sinai, where Moses and the children of Israel are gonna pitch this tabernacle. And eventually after 40 years, they're gonna enter in the Canaan land, which is the river Jordan. That's also compared to the tabernacle pattern in a threefold nature, or it represents Yahweh, Elohim, and Yahshua. But on the sixth day, you have a dual operation where he calls a deep sleep to fall upon a man, and he's inundated in the spirit. Now, that also has to be fulfilled, you understand, but keep in mind when he does that, and he divides the sexes and presents that woman unto her husband, you understand? And then they're joined together in unity. And that second veil may say something about that unity. And that man bride came from his body, the rib and the womb. And you also see an angel there in the background. Now keep in mind what I'm talking about. This is Moses' vision on top of Mount Sinai. See that, that, that Dr. Kelly has incorporated in Moses' vision. And then we talk about the tabernacle that was pitched in the wilderness of Sinai there, but he has not transgressed at this particular time. You understand? So that's important. They were not in sin. They were innocent and conscious in mind. Now you have to go through a transition. Now, as we move through these plates, maybe we'll go over to plate number 14 and 15. See? Now, what you have, you have what we call an angelic transgression. You understand? Now, but we're looking at angels, and you have these angels were created before the transgression. He created, created those angels in heaven. But at the time, just like Elohim is invisible, that can only be seen in a vision of revelation, so also could the angels that he created. At that particular, you find the angels on the veil on those two veils in the tabernacle and on the curtains in the tabernacle. So the first veil on the interior coming through there, you would see those angels. We're not particularly talking about Satan right now, but the angels were on that veil. And on the second veil, you see those angels who were blue, purple, and scarlet. See, which may represents as she was previously talking about the veins, arteries, and capillaries that are in the man, see? But in Moses' vision, you don't see that. And that tabernacle is covered and you would not see the angels. But in the end, in John and it's on the book, in the book of Revelation, you see that. Now, what we're looking at between plate 14 and 15, you're looking at an angelic transgression or, or Adamic transgression. Now, that is a separation of the creative age. You understand? That's what we're looking at. See, if you looked at your day, ages and dispensation chart, what you would see, you would see Elohim, the creator, as the beginning. You'd see the angelic creation. You'd see cosmogony or that transition. See that line there between the angelic creation and the physical creation. Now, keep in mind, before the physical creation, no man was available to see those angels. You understand in that line, that garden, as we say, uh, I don't know what that line says. Somebody should read it for me. 
Ruth Lion Doctor, which Lion Doctor died? Garden of Eden. That one. Garden of Eden, Genesis 2. And they're in the Garden of Eden and they're in peace. Mm -hmm. See, but we're following a pattern. We're following this pattern and this operation of the structure of how this tabernacle is put together. Okay, now what we're talking about, we're talking about the Ark of the Covenant and then we're talking about those vessels being created and when they're being assembled. Maybe you ought to go to uh, Exodus 40th chapter and about the 36th verse. We just want to talk about how this tabernacle is being assembled, just as this structure of this man. So maybe you ought to read there. If you... uh, Exodus 40 and 36. Exodus. I'll read it. Exodus 40 and 36. Yes. And when, huh? Go ahead. So, okay. And when the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the children of Israel went onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud, if the cloud were not, we'll talk about the assembling of the tabernacle. I think that's in there. You want the um, 34th and a cloud covered the tent of the congregation? Well, I want to go a little higher than that, please. Okay. Uh, Maybe you say something about the Ark of the Covenant. Just read a verse or two above that. Exodus 40 and 20. Okay. Exodus 40 and 20. And he took up, excuse me, and he took and put the testimony into the ark and set the staves on the ark and put the mercy seat above upon the ark. Yes. And he brought yes. the ark into the tabernacle and set yes. up the veil of the covering. Now we're talking, covering, about, covering, mm -hmm. we're talking about the veil. Go ahead, read and covered the ark of the testimony as Yahweh commanded Moses. Yes. And he put the table in the tent of the congregation upon now, the side of, of the tabernacle. And he put mm -hmm. the tent of the congregation, go ahead, holy place. Upon the side of the tabernacle, northward, without now, the veil. You directions of how this tabernacle was set up. It doesn't always follow the way it's illustrated on the chart, but he's telling you directions. He's telling you north. He's setting that table northward. Go ahead. And he set the bread in order upon it before Yahweh, as yes. Yahweh had commanded Moses. And he yes. put the candlestick in the tent of the congregation over against the table on the side of the tabernacle westward. No, and he read it again. And he liked the lamps before Yahweh as Yahweh commanded Moses. Now, what, what said, see, see, if the table was northward, then the, then the candlestick has to be southward. The Ark of the Covenant is westward. You understand? Because it faced east and west because of the way that the sun came up. You understand? So the court, well, go ahead and read, please. And he put the golden altar in the tent of the congregation before the veil. Yes. He burnt sweet incense thereon as Yahweh commanded Moses. Now that's before the second veil that he put the altar of incense. Go ahead. And he set up the hanging at the door of the tabernacle. 
And he set and he up, put, that's the first veil. He set up the hangings at the door of the tabernacle. Read. And he put the altar of burnt offering by the door of the tabernacle of the tent of the congregation. Now they're saying door. Okay, Doc, I see the five minute sign. But read on. And offer upon it the burnt offering and the meat offering so, as Yahweh so, commanded Moses. See, now sometimes we'll miss. Sometimes they measure that out, see, that it's going to be 70 feet till you get to the door, or 26, what they say, 26 and a third, I don't know exactly. No, it can't be 26, but 23 and a third. Now, I think Lansing had, had something that they have all those dimensions calculated out. So you had the gate, you had the altar of sin sacrifice, you had the labor, and then you went to the door. So this thing is calculated out. Now, what we're looking at, now, this is what we're looking at. We're looking at this tabernacle pattern. We're looking at it all the way through. Now, what I was talking about in the book, well, finish that. I guess you can finish talking about the two vessels. And, and he set the labor between the tent of the congregation and the altar and put water there to wash with all. Yes. And Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and their feet thereat. Yeah. When they went into the tent of the congregation, and when they came near unto the altar, they washed as Yahweh commanded Moses. And he mm -hmm. reared up the court round about the tabernacle and the altar and set up the hanging of the court gate. So Moses finished the work. Okay. Now, what I want to talk about in a sense was this, that when you go from like 25, I don't know, it's probably at about 31. Moses is, they're talking about Moses' vision. He's got those days of creation, Yahweh Elohim resting on the Sabbath day and 33 days of the tabernacle. Then after you get, now Moses has to come down that mountain because they built that golden calf. He goes back up that mountain, you understand? And they starts working on the tabernacle, Bailey Eagle and Holy App and the rest of those men. I think she read something about the 36th chapter. And then you get them assembling that tabernacle in the rest of the book of Exodus to the 40th chapter. So if you're still in the 40th chapter, if you get over there, I want you to go down to the last couple of verses of Exodus. 40. 40 and uh, 34? Yes. Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation and the glory of Yahweh filled the tabernacle. Yes. And you know. Moses, 35th verse. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode thereon and the glory mm -hmm. of Yahweh filled the tabernacle. Yes. And when the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the children of Israel went onward in all their journeys. Now, what this is principle of, this is typical of when that cloud was taken up above the tabernacle. Now, that cloud had settled on Mount Sinai, and that cloud symbolized spirit or Jerusalem above. So the 40 years that the children of Israel were, was wandering, as we say, in the wilderness of Sinai, they will be led by the spirit. See? So all of us that are led by the spirit, you understand, of the Holy Spirit, we are the sons of Yahweh. See, that was a type of shadow and allegory, and that was like in fulfillment 
when you received the Holy Spirit. They were all led by the Spirit, and they went on into Canaan land to, in that cloud. So what we're looking at, everything that the founder is talking about, look, he's looking at a tabernacle pattern. He's following it from Genesis to Revelation. That's why, you, in a sense, you have that pattern that's in, intangible up there that's covered, and the end is open. And it's on both ends. Even in the book of Revelation, we're looking at John on out of Patmos. He's going to describe Elohim and his garments of beauty and glory by the tabernacle pattern. So everything throughout the ages of dispensation is going by the pattern, including the ages and dispensations. Let's all say hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Dr. Dye, for that lecture and Dr. Felicia Hamilton for your dissertation. And that concludes our class today. I'd like to thank all the visiting brethren for coming out and visiting with us today. And do we have any announcements? No, sir. No announcements? All right. Maybe all stand in our hearts and minds for doxology, which will be taken from the last two verses of Jude. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise Elohim, our Savior, through Yahshua the Messiah, our Sovereign, belong glory and majesty, dominion and power, both before all time and now and ever, let us all say, Hallelujah. Hallelujah.